but you learn real quick dude that like pro ball moves on like you know i thought you know like i was hurt that it was going to be a big deal i'm letting people down but the reality is man is like pro ball doesn't doesn't hold back for anybody and um, there's always someone there you know there and ready to take your spot Welcome back to another episode of Baseball Americas from Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. On today's episode, we are talking to left-hand pitcher Zach Dotson, a member of the Pirates' 2009 draft class that went heavy on high school pitching. The Pirates took Dotson in the fourth round and bought him out of a Baylor commitment, thus beginning a career that was a roller coaster to say the least. To pull back the curtain just a little bit for the sake of transparency, Zach is one of my best friends. We played on the same travel team in high school, and he was really one of the main inspirations to begin an interview series talking to guys about their journey through the minor leagues. Everyone has a unique path, and getting to see Zach's story from a pretty first-hand basis was eye-opening for me on uh, the variables of where a guy's career can end up. Zach's had some definite up and downs. He's made some poor personal choices, something I think you know he'd be the first to admit, but he's also really given baseball a go over the last decade. Since signing, he's pitched in five countries on three different continents and spent 2019 pitching in Germany and Mexico. It's an interesting journey of going from a top draft prospect to settling in as a crafty minor league vet and going wherever the wind takes him to pitch. As you'll hear in the episode, we recorded this one while Zach was quarantined in Germany. I hope everyone enjoys it. Uh, Make sure to subscribe, check out past episodes of From Phenom to the Farm, and leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And make sure to also subscribe to the Baseball America podcast feed, which posts a few episodes each week covering all levels of the game. It's also never been a better time to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com. They have scouting and analysis on every pick from this year's draft and are keeping readers up to date on everything going on with professional baseball in these unique circumstances. Episodes of From Phenom to the Farm drop on this feed every other Tuesday. In two weeks, we're talking to former Rays first-round pick and big leaguer Richie Schaefer. But for now, let's talk to Zach Dotson. All right, joining me today on From Phenom to the Farm, live from quarantine in Bonn, Germany. It's 2009 Pirates fourth rounder, one of my best friends, pitcher Zach Dotson. Dottie, how you doing, man? Good, man. It's good to hear from you, Ben Duho. How you been, man? I've I've been good. I've been just like you, just been locked in in quarantine. Not quite in in uh, in Germany like you are. A long way from from where we grew up, outside of San Antonio, Texas. Um, but we will towards the end of this podcast, we will get to how baseball has brought you to Germany. But uh, for now, you know, tell the uh, tell the listeners about yourself, your upbringing. You know, how did you how did you get into baseball? Your athletic upbringing. Okay, yeah, man. Um, my athletic upbringing was not very athletic. Uh, my dad owns his own business, moving houses in uh, San Antonio, and the only athletic stuff that he did was rodeo. My dad was in rodeo in high school and stuff. Um, and then, you know, I think, I think my mother was a cheerleader, but you know, as far as athletic genes and stuff, there wasn't much background. Um, but my first love and my first thing, I guess, when it came to sports was racing, like, uh, auto racing, dirt track racing was the first love. And then, uh, you know, as I got older and I tried other things, it kind of around the age of 13, 12, 13 is right whenever I got really into baseball. And I uh, got really into pitching. 
And so you um you're you're a le- you're a lefty left-handed pitcher, but you you weren't the series is called from phenom to the farm. I wouldn't say you're a phenom, you're more of like a late bloomer in terms of when did you know that even playing at the next level started to become a possibility? Man, yeah. No, I was definitely uh what you know what they call the late bloomer uh for sure for the prospects and stuff. Um I don't know, man, like uh, the exact day like that it came a reality for me, I would say it would have to be like going into my senior year during the whole recruiting process in 2000 was it would have been 2008 whenever the recruiting stuff happened. Yeah. So whenever that stuff kind of happened and um, I was getting calls from schools that I didn't even know of and things I never even heard of. Uh, but by the way, I didn't know anything about the recruiting process for that, but that was around the time that I knew that like, okay, like this could be something, you know, I could pursue long-term was probably the right, you know, the recruiting time going into senior year. You had a pretty standout junior year in high school. Um, you know, that's something I can attest to. And you committed to Baylor over the summer in between your junior and senior year, but you kept your recruiting pretty pretty close to the vest you only took one visit it was just Baylor what made you what made you settle on that and kind of shut things down was it just the overwhelming you know situation of not even really knowing you know how good you were at that time um you know at the time you know I didn't really know much about baseball I knew that I liked it you know like 13 14 15 whenever people start learning about schools you know no one in my family had really went to school so I didn't have any college loyalty I was in a town, you know, I grew up in a small town where I felt like names were important and that, you know, that stuff kind of mattered. And um, my freshman year, uh, there was a senior in our class, name was Willie Kemp, a great ball player, man. He ended up playing at Baylor, getting drafted and stuff, and uh, was a really good dude. People really, you know, really admired him and stuff, and I admired him. Um, at the time, you know, this was a guy, you know, senior, big guy, everything he's doing, going to Baylor. Not many people from Medina Valley have really gone anywhere with baseball up to that point, you know, anywhere major. And um, I didn't know anything about recruiting. And uh, that was, you know, it just kind of stuck out to me that Baylor was good. His recruiting class was like the number one class in the country. And I kind of got to watch how those guys developed. And uh, Mitch Thompson was a recruiter. And uh, Mitch, you know, Mitch was a good recruiter, um, talked really highly about it. I still, you know, was a good man and just kind of convinced me over the time, you know, like, you know, seeing how people responded to, you know, Willie and how um, the positive feedback he got. And I was, you know, it was so impressionable because I was young and I didn't know anything. And here's this guy that, you know, he's our ace. He's our best player. He's going to go make something of himself and, you know. That was kind of the preset for me was having that. And then, um, but the whole recruiting stuff, man, is like, I just, looking back, I wish I knew more than I did. Um, I was so ignorant and blind to things that I literally did not know who, like, you know, Vanderbilt was and schools like that. Like, you know, I had the school like that call me and say, oh, you know, we're, we're here. And I, you know, just had no clue that, you know, a school like Vanderbilt was an SEC school and who they were. Like, I was so in the dark of anything. Um, I only thought of college as a stepping stone to get to pro Bowl. Like that's kind of where my mindset had been since I was 13, 14. Like, you know, I thought you had to go to college to do that. And I realized, you know, after the recruiting process and once the pro stuff started coming up that 
that wasn't as necessary as I believed. Well, when did the pro stuff when did the pro stuff start coming up for you? When did you think that you might be good enough to sign at a high school? You went to Tournament of Stars. Uh, you were invited to the Tournament of Stars the summer after your junior year. I think you were, if I remember correctly, you were on a team with a first-round lefty and Chad James. How did you feel after that? You know, How did you stack up to these guys that you knew were going to be draft picks in the spring? And, and what, did you, you know, what did you take from that? into you know your senior year and your your own personal draft stock yeah yeah so yeah the term of stars was definitely the time uh where i realized like hey i can compete here uh, i threw pretty good out there and i got to see like you said the guys who were gonna be good um you know i saw chad james you know obviously i don't know how his careers panned out totally um but i i saw you know what he was and what people were saying about him and i just looked at him and i knew that like you know what like I can do this. Like, there's nothing that this guy is doing that I can't do, or there's nothing that this guy's doing that I, you know, can't be better at. But I get to watch, you know, guys like that. You know, it was one of the first time where I had a chance to really measure myself against uh, people I'd never seen, and I came away with the thought that yeah, there are people that I am better than, and that I, uh, I think, you know, I think I can do more than. But at the same time, like there were people there that made me think. I am not even near to being ready for this, you know. We were taking BP one day, and uh, I can't think of the guy's name, but he ended up being a catcher at Florida. And, you know, we're all going in our senior year, and here's this guy with wood bats hitting bombs over the hitting eye at the, you know, USA Complex. Maddox, Austin Maddox, that's the guy's name. And I was just like, these guys are grown men at 18. And uh, it was a little intimidating. That guy ended up pitching in pro ball, by the way. Did he really? I, if I remember correctly, he made his he he made it to the show as a pitcher. Wow, that I mean, see, like, see, I don't even know. Like, this guy was a catcher. Like, you looked at it, it doesn't surprise me. The guy had a cannon, but like, you see guys like that, you know, they're they're grown men at eighteen, and I didn't, you know, wasn't at that stage. And uh, make sure you like realize, like, okay, this is where I gotta be, and this is where other people are. So you got a good balance of getting to see guys, you know, like you said, like Chad, who are like, you know, these are what people think. This is what they expect. And then guys like Austin that made me think, you know, wow, like I got a lot of work to do. Well, you get into the spring of your senior year. You're you're already committed to Baylor. You've you know, you've you've had the college commitment thing done for a while. Every time out when, you know, you make, you know, in your, your 10 to 14 starts, whatever, What's your what's your mindset at that point? Are you going out every time, you know, saying I'm going to boost my draft stock? How are you how are you grappling with that mentally? You you know, you went to a a smaller school. I can't imagine you you ran into many problems pitching in that spring as far as on-field competition. So how are you wrapping your mind around thinking about what the scouts and the stands are and the the uh, stands are thinking? Yeah. Um Man, that's tough because, you know, like you said earlier, I was a late bloomer. So, like, when the season first started, there really wasn't a lot of hype. And um, there wasn't, like, you know, that wasn't even a focus. Like, I wasn't thinking, like, I need to do this to get drafted. Like, that wasn't a thought process for me at the time. I was just thinking, you know, I'm, you know, I'm the bad dude. Like, I signed to go to Baylor. I'm this guy. Like, I had already thought that, you know, things were done. And then... You know, you get one questionnaire emailed to you, then you get another, then you get another, and then, you know, the first scout comes to watch you pitch, 
And um, at the time, you know, you're not thinking about it. I never was like, I'm going to pitch. I'm going to go out there and, you know, I'm going to be, you know, they're going to see me do this and, just, you know, I'm going to impress them and they're going to take me first round and I'm going to make my life me. Like that never really crossed my mind at first. <laughs> but, um, you know, it came to a point like, you know, starts would go good. One scout would show up, things would go well, you know, then where we get out. And then it kind of kept going around until it came to a high point uh, in my senior year, obviously, um, when I was playing uh, against Kerrville. And um, I had about 10 to 15 scouts show up, and it was the most that ever came to see me pitch. And I was just, at that moment, that was like the moment where I realized, like, oh, wow, like, this is this isn't a joke no more. Like I'm not just some guy who's on the radar, you know, like I might, you know, I'm not just some guy that they're hearing about, like made me realize like there's people here to watch me and they want to see what I can do. So I'm going to go out here and I'm going to beat the hell out of this team. And I'm going to, you know, really stick it to them. And I didn't get out of the first inning and I got bombed. They, you know, got my, got my butt kicked. And uh, I just remember walking off the mound and before I even got to the to the line, I looked up and I can literally see them packing up their stuff and leaving. And I was like, "Man, that's it! Like I'm done. I'm done." And uh, we played the whole game out and stuff, and we ended up we ended up losing the game, but I didn't take the loss. And um, end of the game, my parents came up to me and they were so happy. They were just like, "Oh my God, that's okay." Like, you know, it's a tough game and you know stuff. And she wouldn't get too excited till we got to the car. And she was like, Zach, that was so good. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I just killed any chance to get drafted. And my mom was like, no, no, no. Like, you know, that was really good. Like, the scouts were asking us, you know, when you're pitching again, this and that. I was like, Mom, I didn't even get out of the first inning. She's like, no, but you hit 94 like three or four times. So they're like, they really want to come back and see you. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, wow, okay. It makes sense. And then um, after that outing, man, like it just kind of – ease that tension for me I guess and like made me realize that that's not really something so much to be stressed about and then um as the season went on they just slowly started coming more and more and then um what made me really think that I was going to get drafted was whenever you know teams started asking like how much money how much money you want you know what is it going to take what is this what is that that's whenever as a family we started looking at it like okay like we need to be instead of just saying you know I want two million dollars like we need to look at this and say okay this is what it's going to take so how'd you calculate that what how what did you what did you factor into you know what what it would actually take yeah so for me like i know we looked at the um what each pick was paying right the year prior and the other years prior and we were looking at the slots for each pick and then we kind of just took into account you know like i I was fortunate enough to come from uh, my dad you know did his business was very successful and came from a place where, um, you know, finances weren't a big issue. So that came into consideration and partly, and then, you know, things that my dad considered would be life changing money or something that was worth it. And, uh, we just kind of went off of his personal experience where we were as a family and just kind of came to this number where we felt like, where I felt like my most value would be. And, um, you know, we just, the teams just happened to match up with what we saw in value. You know, like I, I, we valued myself at a, at a third to fifth round value. 
and um, it, we just happened to get lucky and you know hit the nail right on the head. Okay, so walk me through draft day. Back in 2009, rounds one through three were the first day, and then started with round four the next morning. What was what was the draft process for you? Did you have a, a feeling of where you'd go before then? Yeah, so draft day was super disappointing. Like you said, they did the first three rounds. Um, in the few days leading up to that, uh, the Nationals had like, hey, you know, do you want to do this? You know, like they do these pre-draft deals. I know they're probably not supposed to talk about it and all that, but they have these pre-draft deals where they call people like, hey, do you want this? Do you want that? Uh, you know, would you sign for this and that? And it's like, yeah, sure. You know, you, you start thinking about things. And well, the Nationals called one day and said, hey, would you sign for this in the third round? And we're like, yes, absolutely. Let's do it. Okay, you know, we're going to do this. And it was like two or three days leading up to the draft. Like, hey, this is still on. Are you good? Are you committed? Yeah, our commitment's strong. Our commitment's good. You know, we're doing this. So in our mind, we're like, hey, like this is happening. Like this is going to be a reality. So my parents, uh, we threw a pretty big, pretty big draft party. And uh, we had uh, like 30 friends over. And, you know, we're having a good time. You know, like good things are about to happen. And uh, you start watching on TV and the first round goes by. And I see guys I know, see guys I don't know, you know. That first round ended up being okay, I guess. Some good guys coming through it. Um, then, you know, they they took off the broadcast off main TV and uh, sent it to the live stream. So, you know, we pull up the computer. Everybody's having a good time. And uh, second round goes by, you know, nothing. And then the third round comes up, and the Nationals have the first pick. And we're like, all right, here it is, you know, here it is. Like, we're about to get drafted. And the sign comes up, and you know, the Nationals end up drafting an outfielder or something like a, a guy from the Northwest or whatever. And I just remember the most awkward silence—probably one of the most awkward silences I've ever had—of people just sitting in the room, like, like what, like, uh, you know, what's going on? And I felt so dumb, you know. I know my parents, you know, probably were like, what? You know, we just told these people that, you know, we're, this is happening. And it didn't happen. So we sit there and everybody watched it. You know, we watched the rest of the round in. And uh, everybody goes home, like, super disappointed. Like, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. And then uh, the next day, the fourth round starts at, like, 8 o'clock in the morning or 8.30 in the morning or whatever. And uh, I just remember going to bed, like, you know, pretty disappointed, like, you know what, whatever, life goes on, I'm going to go to college. And uh, that next morning, I wake up to my parents, and they were super excited, and I was like, what's going on? And they're like, hey, um, we're not 100% sure, and we didn't want to tell you last night, but the Pirates said, we'll give you, we'll give you this, you know, we'll give you 600 grand if, uh, if you can fall there. And we were like, what do you mean if we can fall there? Like, okay, so that, at that point, you know, told the Nationals, like, hey, we're going to go to school. Like, you guys kind of screwed us. We're not happy with you. We're going to go to school. Do not do not pick us. Because the Nationals had the first pick of the fourth round. The Pirates had the yeah. fourth pick of the fourth round. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we told them, like, you know what? We're not going to do it, blah, blah, blah. And um, they ended up taking A.J. Morris, who I ended up getting to know pretty good through workouts and stuff. He's a Texas guy. And ended up taking him, and then about, you know, whenever they show it on TV, the draft goes by, you know, nice in like five minutes. They 
you know, they liven it up and stuff. And the time between when the Nationals picked and the Pirates picked in the on the internet was about 15 seconds. And um, I just remember sitting there with my parents, and uh, we're looking on the computer screen, and we're listening, and the, you know they call it in and say, "Hey, you know, you hear your name get announced as the pick," and it's like that, you know, oh wow, like that oh sh- moment, like like this happened, this is real. And um, I just remember like looking at my parents, and uh, we all cried, we were all excited, and then you know you get a call 30 seconds later from my scout saying, you know. Hey, this is so and so. You know, welcome to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Blah blah blah. And it's like at that moment, it's it's real. You know, it happened. And uh, you know, my dad, being the man that he is, and he's the hard worker he is, um, he sent me to work that day back doing construction. And um, that in itself was kind of a lesson too. Oddly, like uh, you know, I just had the biggest moment of my life. Like everything I've worked towards, like you know, a dream is coming true. And my dad's like, hey, like. This is great, but the real world's still waiting, so you got to go build these decks. So it was like the whole draft experience was kind of surreal and uh, not quite what I was expecting. So you signed you signed really late that summer. You only ended up throwing one inning in the GCL, and it's not until short season starts the year after that you really get into professional baseball. So that's almost a, a full year before you're actually playing games. So it's a year of adjusting to that life without actually jumping in and playing games. So there's a lot, there's a lot to that. I mean, first and foremost, you've been given, you know, life changing money. How did you prepare to, you know, to, to spend that money or to use that money? And, you know, how, how did you, you mentally adjust to that? Uh, very poorly. <laughs> um, I adjusted it to it pretty bad, to be honest. Um, you can't you can't prepare for that amount of money, you know. Like, you go from being a kid who's dependent on your parents to I woke up one day and my bank account had you know three hundred thousand dollars in the account, and you're like, you know, it, it, it's surreal. It's like it's like a you know when a kid wakes up in a dream and they just find you know all this money in their account, like what can I buy? And I did that. Like I bought a truck. It wasn't so much a lot of stuff. I just spent money on a truck. You know, I didn't. Um, I was in the attempts to, you know, try to make responsible decisions. You know, you got a lot of people in your ear telling you, "Oh, you know, you need to do this, and you know, you need to do that." And in hindsight, yeah, all their advice was correct. But I was, you know, I was 19, top of the world, like. I was a fourth rounder, you know, like I I really thought very highly of myself. I thought that I was just the baddest dude in the world and that, you know, obviously every choice that I made up to that point in my life had worked out. So why should anything else be any different? So I I took some uh, really bad financial advice and um, actually ended up getting basically robbed from a a former, former, um, really close friend of mine who uh, played in the big leagues for 10 years. Uh, Guy was a mentor, you know, taught me how to hit. I spent a lot of time with this man and he ended up actually stealing 75 grand from me in the first year that I got my bonus. And um, I didn't know it at the time that he was stealing it from me, you know, that he was Ponzi scheming me, but um, you know, obviously over time you realize it, but there was, he just, he asked you to invest it with him. 
it was weird, you know. So like, you know, the economy just crashes. You know, everybody's kind of scared of the stock market. The housing bubble bursts. You know, people don't know what's going on. And so the, I was getting a lot of advice. Like some people would say, invest in this, invest in that. And uh, my dad actually, uh, being you know, he has contacts in uh, City San Antonio, and uh, I can't remember the name of the bank, but he sent me to this seminar. And I remember going to this seminar super underdressed. There are people in there in suits and dresses, like very nice luncheon type thing where like, you know, this guy's about to give you investment advice that's going to change your life. And he did like the advice that he gave in the room and what he told his investors to do was fantastic advice. Uh, I just happened to not take it as, you know, I, I took it like a 19 year old would like, you know, I, I stuck with one idea. And the premise of his idea was that, you know, you know, if if you invest in gold, uh, gold's a safe investment. It's a good investment. It's something that, you know, you can get into. And so I came away from this meeting thinking, OK, I'm a little bit more educated. Like I got an idea. My dad was hesitant about giving it to somebody to invest, you know, thinking they would swindle. And um, here this mentor comes without knowing that I went to the seminar, without knowing anything, comes at me, you know, about this investment opportunity in gold and uh, with the distribution and the handling of the gold. And the first red flag was how the returns were going to be fantastic. You know, we're talking we're talking tripling your money in, you know, six months type returns. And I didn't know any better. You know, I trusted this guy to do that. And um, he ended up not doing that and uh, basically just straight stole my cash and gave me the runaround for the next two years approximately. This is about the time that I was chasing it until I gave it up. But uh, it ended up being a very, you know, very expensive lesson, but a very valuable lesson in um, choosing what to invest in and choosing, you know, things that matter. And, uh, you know, right now I got, I got investments, you know, in other places I didn't blow at all. But yeah, man, you know, it's, you'd be surprised how fast you can spend $300,000. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, well, let's get to the, the baseball aspect of it. Um, you know, you, you said, you just said that, you know, you thought you were the baddest dude, fourth rounder. What in your mind, what kind of pitcher were you? What was your ceiling? When did you think you were going to the big leagues? You had to wait a long time to actually get in real game action aside from, you know, your, your one inning in the GCL, the summer of 2009, you know, how fast did you think that you were going to, you know, speed to the show? I mean, on signing day, I thought that they could have used me right then. You know, like they flew me up at the same time as Colton Kane. And uh, at the time I didn't know what he was signing for. And, um, you know, at that time, like, they fly you up to the big leagues. They put you in the hotel. They take you, you know, they take you everywhere. They show you everything, and it just fed the ego. And then, um, about ten minutes before the press release came out, that ego, my ego, took its first huge hit. Whenever I found out that the guy who I was there signing with, who was picked after me, was getting twice as much money as me, and I was like, oh man, like okay, so what? You know, I guess I don't know, like. How, how to handle that. Like, it's like, man, okay, this is it. But then getting down to Florida was just a different experience in itself. So when you finally get to state college, you've gone through your first spring training, you've gone through extended spring training, you've had as much pro ball as you can have without actually pitching in real games. At that point, do you have any kind of idea of what pro ball life is actually like? Or was it not until state college when you start trotting out there every five days 
that you you really got the swing of how you're stacking up against these other players. Yeah, extended is a tough gauge, um, and it was tough to gauge exactly where you are, like you said, in competition. Uh, I think it was. It was state college, like, you know, getting under the lights. In the, you know, the Pirates put a lot of emphasis on it. The pitching coach we had was like, you know, things are different when you get under the lights. Things are different whenever you, you know, you take the ball every fifth day. Um, you know, there's a different even flow to the life that we knew. So at the time, you know, before that, I thought I had a grasp on it. But you, you there's almost really nothing you can do to prepare for the daily life of, of a baseball player of, you know, waking up, you know, 1030. And it sounds super casual, but, you know, you wake up late, you go to the ballpark, you're at the ballpark all day. And um, the big thing was, I guess, for me to stay calls when I realized, like, that this is going to be tough for the days it's like, you know, in extended, you tell the pitching coach, oh, I don't feel too good today. Like, you know, can I have a day? It's like, yes, you know, it's okay. You know, when you get to in season, it's you don't get those days. It was, hey, you know, like, I don't feel good. It's like, oh, do you need to go on the DL? No, I don't feel that bad. And it's not like they pressured you, but it's like, you know, like they you know, they pushed you to, to dig. And um, that's the first time I was like, oh, wow, like I'm going to have to dig down in this and like um, – try to figure some stuff out because this first part of state college did not go well until uh, I had an intervention with a manager of mine that uh, really kind of set my path on that point to where it made me realize like, after the conversation with him, the intervention with him made me realize like, okay, I belong here. This is something I can do. And this is, you know, these are guys I can compete against. Well, walk me through that. What did that, what did that manager kind of tell you to, to change things for you? Oh man. So his name, um, manager is Gary Robinson and a uh, great man. I have a lot of respect for this guy's fantastic coach. Good person. Like, I don't think he was the best perfect person on paper. You know, when people look at him, he's kind of rough around the edges, which I can relate to. But, um, we were like midway through the year and I just got through a start where uh, we were in Brooklyn, New York and um, I had my headphones on. I'm listening to the game. I'm listening to music and he's having an important conversation trying to get guys, you know, refocus. We can turn it around. And I farted in the middle of his, uh, middle of his meeting, not like a passive one, like a real loud one where it stopped the meeting. He literally stopped the meeting, called me out. And, um, he was like, I need to talk to you. And I apologize. He's like, you know, I hope they understand, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's upset. I farted in this meeting. We're going on to the game. I go out there and I got my butt kicked. And uh, after the game, he's just, you know, letting us have it. And then he looks at me and he goes, you know what? He's like, I know why you farted in my meeting. He's like, you're scared. And he challenged me. And I was like, man, like, did this guy just say that in front of everybody? And then my next start, I got my butt kicked again. And uh, one day he calls me into his office or into his hotel room. Um, I think we were playing Tri-City or something. Calls me in his office and um, he's like, you know what? And he sits me down with a pitching coach. He's like, I don't think you belong here. I think the fact that the Pirates gave you as much money as they did is an absolute joke. I think that they should just send you home right now if it was up to me. You would be out of here because you ain't nothing. You ain't proved nothing. You know, like basically told me that I was nothing and that, you know, what I have done to show him was not what, you know, people were expecting. 
And it just really fired me up, man. Like, I was mad. Like, I was really, I never wanted to fight someone so bad. And uh, I walk back to my room and I'm fuming. I'm like, this guy, like, is this really what he thinks about me? Is this what people think about me? Like, I really cared. And I was like, you know, that's not true. This isn't how it is. Like, I can prove him wrong. Like, this guy doesn't need to be saying it about me. And uh, I walked back to his office and I, I walked back to his hotel room and I was mad. I was ready to fight him. I was like, I'm going to fight this old man. Like, I'm about to fight my manager right now. I don't care. And I opened the door and uh, he just calmly was like, come on in. And he's like, you want to fight me right now, don't you? And I was like, yes, I do. And um, he kind of, you know, just kind of laid it out there for me and was like, look, you know, this is what I see from you and this is what I think you can do. And you're not doing it. And, you know, you're not giving me – it was all about baseball stuff. It wasn't off the field stuff. It was about the baseball and about confidence and going after guys and not being afraid to – he would say, put your sack on the table. Uh, I don't know if you got to – whatever that is, but that's what he would say. And um, he challenged me. But then at the same time, you know, you know, in the 10-minute – the moment after he challenged me, he showed me compassion. And uh, at that moment, it's what really turned my season around was that like – there's this man here who I don't really know that well, and he was man enough to challenge me and call me out. But in the same in the same breath, he was willing to show that compassion that he cared, and uh, it really put a lot of drive in me. And it's what you know turned my season around and kind of led to the early successes of my career. You finished that season with a 484, um, not elite by any means, but where you know when you when you left you, you mentioned you're in a you know you're in a good place it, it led to some early success and you had some early you know you had a successful 2011 the season after in low a what do you think wh- where were you in terms of your development how did you feel about yourself as a pitcher you know you didn't um did, did you think the pirates could still use you right then or did you did you adjust your timeline a little bit what was your your opinion of yourself heading into low a west virginia in 2011 uh, my opinion of whether the pirates could use me in the big leagues or not changed really quick when i got to i guess spring training when i saw these big leaguers come to work and triple a guys and double a guys and guys who were older uh that's when i realized like all right I need to taper back my expectations and take this a step at a time. Um, but yeah, it, it led to the confidence into 2011 and, um, going into 2011, you know, I still like, you know, I was fortunate. I was a top prospect in the league. You know, there was some buzz and I was really excited and, uh, I was really felt like that was the year I could take a step forward and really put myself on the map. You know, I knew people, you know, guys in A-ball, like, you know, that's kind of the maker, not the maker breaker, but the year that, like, you can put yourself on the map or you can just be an organizational guy. And uh, that really drove me, man. I really wanted to be that dude. I knew how important it was and um, started off the year fantastic, you know, like throwing the ball better than I'd ever thrown. Uh, stuff was better than it's ever been. And then um, I had a night where, I uh, was with teammates and got drunk and uh, decided to punch a wall uh, literally right after my best start. And um, just really, that's that's really, I guess I could point to like that moments where just kind of things started to go sideways. I still finished the year strong numbers wise, but it just wasn't the same. Like 
it didn't feel the same when I took them out. It didn't feel the same when people looked at me in the organization. Like, well, you went on you went on the DL for a couple of weeks too, didn't you? Yeah, right? because I broke my hand. I punched the wall, got drunk, broke broke my hand, got in an argument, and uh, went on the DL, you know, to let the hand heal, and ended up going back to state college and stuff. How does a, a young guy, you know, twenty years old, how do you tell? You know, walk walk me through telling your manager or telling who else about your injury. Yeah, so the first person I told was my trainer. Uh, it happened the night before, you know, and like when it happened, I knew right away. Uh, but, you know, wait, wait until the morning, um, woke up and I called, I called our trainer and I was like, hey, no, you know, like something happened. Uh, I broke my hand. I think I broke my hand. He's like, well, what happened? And, um, you know, I'm not going to throw my teammate under the bus. And I'm not going to do anything to endanger anybody else. So I just told him, like, oh, I got an to argue with my girlfriend, punch a wall. And um, there's never, like, really anything directly said, like, hey, that was that was dumb. You know, it's kind of more passive, like, you know, like the way people act, I guess. And um, in that moment, I could tell that, like, you know, I did something dumb. And, like, I knew before, but it was – know calling the trainer and having him be like all right we'll just come in and we'll take care of it and then like the kind of mannerisms after that you're like wow like this is changing this is changing everything and um telling the manager wasn't any fun you know i remember i had had g rob gary robinson still next year and having to tell him like hey you know this happened and um but you learn real quick do that like pro ball moves on like you know, I thought, you know, like I was hurt. That it was going to be a big deal. I'm letting people down. But the reality is, man, is like Pro Bowl doesn't doesn't hold back for anybody. And um, there's always someone there, you know, there and ready to take your spot. And that was the first time I realized that, like, hey, like this is how fragile professional baseball really is. That next year, Zach was sent back to West Virginia to repeat low A, a move that he admittedly didn't take very well. It killed his attitude and his work ethic, but news of another personal mistake was actually what snapped him out of that funk. It took me the whole year to shake until um, until I knew that I was going to be getting suspended at the end of the year. And uh, at that point, when it kind of kicked in, like, hey, like, you need to do something here or else this is, this is going to be the end of the road. Well, let's roll into that. Your season ends at 100 innings on the dot. You're suspended in, uh, in August of that year. Walk me through that process and then you know walk me through that off season yeah so um in the time around that time i guess i don't know if it i'm i don't i hope not many people are familiar with it but um there was a stuff called k2 it was uh released as like uh they called it fake weed um at that point i never really smoked weed but i you know came across this case two stuff um in the years prior, it was legal. Actually, I'd actually taken drug tests while on it and never had a problem. And so uh, I walked into that, you know, I hadn't been doing it. I, I had my slap in the wrist the year before and uh, just kind of, you know, along with the whole mindset of not caring, I was like, you know what, this isn't going to be something that gets me. And then um, later in the year, we got drug tested, The you know, the few times that I had smoked that stuff. And uh, came out that I that I failed. Uh, I knew I was gonna fail from the from the time the guy walked in the door and my name was on the list. I knew it because I had just smoked, you know, two hours before I got on the bus. Like so, I knew that like whatever was gonna come out of my system was gonna be bad. 
and um, that you know, and I even made jokes like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gone, I'm gone in a month." But um, going into that, like I knew that I had to, like I had to make something happy. And I was sitting on a five, like almost a six, like not throwing well, and I knew that I had to do something. And uh, just kind of like made me realize, like if I don't want to lose this, I'm gonna have to work harder than I did. And I did, and it really pushed me, and I worked hard. And then, you know, the suspension came, like I knew, and uh, had to make some of the hardest phone calls of my life to my mom, to my girlfriend at the time, you know, let them know that someone that they, you know, didn't know anything about that, like, things were happening, happening with. And um, the pirates told me right away, like, we're not going to release you. We, um, we're going to send you home. And um, I went home that year. And I uh, lived with my brother and his girlfriend, and it was a blessing in disguise, man. And I, uh, you know, made me really reflect on things that I wanted and um, choices that I was making in the season, and say, you know, how bad do I want this? How bad do I want to keep playing? And um, in my mind, I was going to do everything I could that off season to go to spring training in 2013 to show the Pirates, like, hey, you know. This isn't something that is going to define me. This isn't something, you know, that is a problem. Yeah, yes, it's something I did, but it wasn't going to do. And uh, I, I ended up having a really good off season. And uh, I went to 2013 ready to go. And, um, you know, I ended up going to Hyatt that year. And I think a big part of that was the mindset that I took into that off season of just kind of battling through it and, you know, like, disregarding what the thought and feeling would be and just focusing on the baseball and just like trying to simplify my life by focusing on the baseball as much as I can. So I want to wrap the, the two years after your suspension, uh, it kind of into, into one subject you throw, what you, you, you get off your suspension, um, you throw 110 innings in Bradenton. And then the next year you, you get called up to Altoona. You're in double a at 23. Um, probably not where you'd wanted to be at 18, but you're, you're progressing. Um, you're still in the rotation. You're still, the, the pirates are still employing you at this point in those two years, where were you in terms of, cause you were not a prospect. You were not on the list anymore. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of, you know, here, here at baseball America, you were not on that, that pirates, top 10 pirates, top 20, where in where, you know, what were you in your mind? Were you still a big leaguer? What were you doing to try to become a big leaguer each time out, you know, each off season. Yeah. So like, yeah, I went to that off season, went to it and, um, I knew it, man. Like I knew that, you know, I had a guy that I talked to on the phone and said, Hey Zach, just letting you know that, you know, one out of, you know, or like, you know, eight out of 50 guys who fell for we, the first, you know, for this kind of thing for the first time made it to the big leagues and then one out of something. And in my mind, you know, one out of, a hundred or whatever, one out of 60, I made it to the big leagues with a hundred game suspension. And in my mind, it was a challenge. I was like, you know what? Like, I'm not just going to be the statistic. I'm just going to, this isn't going to define me. This isn't going to be how I ended with the pirates. And I worked really hard, man. And I did, and I went to extended, um, and I, you know, I did what I could. And then I, I, I know my numbers in that high a year weren't that good, but like the season wasn't bad. Like I threw pretty good. And, um, I ended up having a good year and I got my first taste of double A. And then like at that point I knew I wasn't a prospect, but at least I wasn't the, I wasn't the guy that they had just completely given up on. You know, it, it re gave me hope that like, Hey, like, you know, they called me back up to double A at the end of the year. Like you're going to get to go back 
And then uh, that double A season, you know, I, like you said, I wasn't a prospect still, but they, you know, they reinstilled that confidence kind of in the, um, you know, they told me right out the gate, like, hey, you're going to be a starter in double A. Now, in hindsight, I was just transitioning into the innings eater, you know, double A veteran kind of guy that, like, that, that I've kind of taken the role as, as a veteran. I didn't know it at the time, but, in, you know, like I was getting a chance to start. I was excited and, uh, you know, kind of re-energize, do it all again. So that style of pitching, that's not something that was a conscious decision because you kind of, at that time, you changed your delivery a little bit. You you lowered your arm slot just a little bit. You became definitely a pitch-to-contact, innings-eater kind of guy, go out, you know, try to get your your five to six. You weren't really blowing anyone away. You still had relatively low strikeout numbers, especially for this day of, ba- you know, this age yeah. of baseball. How are you, you know, start to start, you know, when you're, you, you've got five years of pro ball, you know, under your belt now, what are those adjustments like start to start as a guy who at that point is a minor league veteran? Is there a lot of tinkering or is it just kind of just, I'm going to keep going out and trying to get outs and there's not a whole lot of thought to it? Yeah. At the time, you know, there wasn't a lot, you know, they were just installing the whole pitch FX stuff and like they were talking about it, you know, this new stuff that we're trying to gauge and uh, the pitching coach, you know, we're looking at stuff and look at video and we're talking about command. Um, for me, it came down to, you know, I went from being a stuff guy in high school, you know, the guy who, you know, I punch everybody out. It didn't matter. Like, you know, you're just better than them to realizing that I'm not a stuff guy, that I am striking out less guys than usual. But at that time in 14, I'm still walking, you know, I'm still walking guys like I punch out a guy in any, and that's like, you couldn't do that. And so as that year progressed and like, you know, that realization, I got hurt early in the year and I had a pitching coach uh, or pitching coach actually later in the year was like, Hey man, like you need to do something. And I was like, you know, man, I know I'm struggling. You know, if I, things don't go better, they're going to send me down. And he's like, uh, uh-uh. uh. I said, what, you know what? They're not going to send me down. He's like, no man, they're going to send you home. And I was like, wow. Like, okay. Like I really got to like try to figure this out because if not, I'm going to go home. So the earlier day-to-day change to change wasn't, you know, it wasn't as focused as it was. It was like, hey, like you're two starts away from being jobless. And so my focus just really transitioned into, you know, what am I doing? You know, where am I getting guys out at? Where, what pitches am I going to in the right time? And what pitches am I going to in the wrong time? And uh, I really started to focus on that aspect of it. Um, you know, I guess, you know, now we talk about pitch sequencing, you know, like, you know, basing it off of your spin rates, but at the time, you know, we didn't have that. And, um, you know, you can go off of averages, the number you had. And I just was really focusing on, you know, what numbers are good with these, you know, you know, what counts am I not afraid to get into? And, um, in that year I discovered, you know, that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you got to get ahead, you know, oh, one's the best thing. And I realized that, you know, with my pitching style, that being 1-0 and 1-1 and, you know, like being in non-advantage counts, even though I wasn't a strikeout pitcher, wasn't quite necessarily the worst thing for me. Like, obviously, overall, it didn't work out. But as soon as I embraced the idea of just because I'm 1-0 or 2-1, you know, I had a change up. And, you know, that to be able to have that and to use that to get guys out of situations – was big and just the realization that like, Hey, like 
guys hit you know guys hit 180 on your changeup. It doesn't matter if it's 0-2 or 1-1. Like they actually hit worse on my changeup early in the count. So I went from being a guy who was like you know need to pound you with my fastball to get ahead to it doesn't matter if I'm if I'm you know 1-0 or 2-1 you know because as long as I sequence my pitches the correct way to get to that point. I'm going to have success. And that's when that thought process of how do I sequence my stuff together and how am I going to piece what I do together to get guys out effectively and, you know, as efficiently as I can. When you finished 2014 with that idea of pitch sequencing, you know, you, you finished with a 462 ERA. Did you think that the, the changes you made, the progression you made, did you think that was still a ticket to the big leagues? Was that still your goal or were you just, Hey, I'm going to be able to hang around here for a while and we'll see what happens. Yeah. My thought process at that point, whenever they told me like, Hey, you're about to get released. It went from being, you know, I'm a big league pitcher to, to I'm trying to hang around. And I think that thought really came around to me about like, you know, the whole, like, am I a big leaguer or not? Like, I think every pro in their heart would tell you, you know, even though I'm 29, like in my heart, I believe I can still get guys out in the big leagues. So like at that time, you know, it's like, I realized that I wasn't a big league, you know, I wasn't going to be the big league guy that I envisioned you know, when I was in 2012, you know, when you watch a guy like Jose Fernandez, who's fresh out of high school, painting 98. So like that thought came around. So like the, th- the whole thought of just hanging around and like, you know, is, you know, wanting to make baseball my job, like only, you know, you only get to play in double A and triple A for so long. You can only be a minor league veteran for so long. And, um, I think at that time my thought transitioned to just like what can I do to hang around like what can I do to have one more year you know especially whenever you ask guys at that age you know you're 25 in double a you know at the last year of your contract it's over you know like that's the end of the rope the ropes you know you've let it out and you start asking questions to pitching coaches and other people like hey you know life after baseball comes up and uh the most consistent response i've ever gotten was play till you rip it off and um getting those consistent remarks kind of transitioned me from being a guy that you know i really need to pay and play in the big leagues to a guy who's like i love baseball and uh regardless of the choices i've made and the mistakes i've made like this is what i want to do and um if hanging around in double A for a couple years is what's going to help extend my career, then I'm going to do everything I can to get guys out here. And if they give me a chance to go get guys out in triple A in the big leagues, that's great. But, you know, I need to survive. I was in survival mode, you know, after my first suspension. So you're surviving not just because you know, it, it's a career, it's your job, it's been your job since you were 18, but you're, are you still having, at that point, are you still having fun playing baseball and living that lifestyle? Because it's not an easy lifestyle. You're on the road for a majority of the year, you don't have, you know, it's hard to have a residence or any sense of, you know, normalcy. Are you still enjoying the lifestyle as much as you are, you know, this is your job, this is what you've got to do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, that was something I kind of fell in love with too much was the lifestyle that came with being a professional ball player. You know, that 
it's you know people reflect in that that that's what's the best you know the lifestyle that goes with it you know you're making terrible money you have long bus trips but you know what dude like that's okay like i can ride the bus for a long time like i can deal with slodging through the mud for a good time and that's why i looked at it like you know like i'm doing this you know i'm still enjoying what i do like i enjoyed the people i was around i enjoyed taking the buses you know, did I enjoy taking the ball every fifth day every time? No, absolutely not. Like, there were not things. Like, it was definitely a love-hate because there were times where I absolutely loved baseball where everything's going right and you can do whatever you want. But, like, you know, the lifestyle of it, man, is, is it's so unique and it's so it's so different. And you don't realize it, realize it at the time, but it, it's so much easier than – the day-to-day i guess like it sounds hard but you know you know how and i would think about it at the time too like you know you wake up and it's like how hard is life right now you know like i yeah i had to ride the bus all night but i got to sleep until 11 30 have a hotel breakfast and like i get to go hang out at the ballpark like is my life really that bad and uh i realized that it's not and that the lifestyle that baseball gives you is just so unique and so fantastic that it's something that you just don't let go of ever like part of you is always going to want that well then let's get into 2015 you settled into life as a a veteran a guy who's just trying to get guys out trying to hang on you repeat double a you're still only 24 you're not you know you're not an old man you're not you know you're not that you're still in the last year of your contract your rookie contract you sign 18 you have your best professional season uh, your best, I think to this to this date, your best affiliated season. You have a three six seven uh, career highs in strikeouts, career low in in walks per nine. You throw you know, career high in innings by a, a ton. You throw one sixty two. You you take the ball every fifth day for your team. Walk me through that season. How you felt? You know, during you you started out really well. Uh, you know, how how did you feel during that season? Did you feel like did you ever feel like you were more than just a guy who was hanging on at that point? No, no, not at all. Um, going into that screen training, um, you know, given what they had told me in 14 about how my career was, you know, like I was close to being released. Uh, going into 15, they told me like, Hey, you know, you're fighting for a bullpen spot. And it's like, man, like the year before they sent the bullpen log, the log man lefty to the fall league. And in my mind, I'm like, man, this is it, you know, like this is this is this is gonna be it. Doesn't you know? They sent the guy to the fall league. You know, I yeah, I was starting, but you know, I'm I don't feel feel very confident about it. And um, my thought process was, I'm gonna enjoy every day. It, it it wasn't a I'm gonna work as hard as I can. You know, I put that work in, and um, my body was as good as it you know as it ever been. And my focus kind of shifted to, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to enjoy every day. I'm going to just appreciate the fact that I still get to do this. And in that appreciation, um, you know, oddly enough, like opportunity arised where somebody gets hurt in big league camp. Another guy gets big hurt big league camp. You know, two guys need to go to AAA. The next thing you know, you're looking for a starter for AA. And I just kind of got thrown. I literally got thrown into that spot. Uh, I made one start in spring training lead up, leading up to the season, and that was um, the very last game of spring training when they said, hey, you know, this is what you're doing. And it just 
it kind of like it had like a dual effect. It kind of told me like, you know what, like. I'm not going to make it to the big leagues with the Pirates. In that moment, I realized, like, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of season I have, I'm not going to make it. But there's still 31 other teams out there, and I'll be damned if I'm not going to try as hard as I can to make that work or at least do what I can. So I went with, into the season with the mindset that I'm fighting for my life and I'm fighting for everything I have to this point like you know is my like do i want my career to end like this do i want this you know you ask yourself a lot of questions and at the end of the day it's like no you don't and so i just went out there and i appreciated you know i appreciated the moments i appreciated the days and i just focused on competing you know it went from thinking oh i need to work on this like yeah you still work on stuff but it went to i'm going to compete and i'm going to get guys out and i'm going to show you you know that like i can do this and whenever I took my mindset from um, a teaching mindset to a, just a competing mindset is whenever my year there just flourished and I threw well and things just kind of happened. You know, you have things that go your way and I you know, was able to recognize opportunities that went in my direction and I just tried to recognize it and make the most of them as I could. Well, you finished with a good year. You head to minor league free agency. The Pirates, if I remember correctly, don't make much of an effort to keep you. Is that correct? Yeah, zero effort. Zero effort to, to sign me back. Was that a surprise to you? Did you think they would they would try to bring you back? Um, a little bit. A little bit yes, a little bit no. Um, the season ended in 15, and they moved me to AAA. And I was not happy because there were moments earlier in the year, you know, where they had opportunities to move me up and they didn't because they had other guys. And it's totally cool. Like that's, you know, that's their business. They, and those guys that they called up were really good pitchers. And so, you know, we get to the playoffs. I grinded out this whole year for this team. You know, I take it and I do what I can to, to pitch well. And I show that I can show up in big games and I'm about to get these chances to pitch in the playoffs for the first time in my career. I'm like, you know what? I get to pitch in the playoffs. Here we go. And the manager's like, Hey, you're going to triple a. And it's like, yes and no. It's like, yes, that's cool. But at the time I knew that like, damn, that's not good. Like they're, they called up a guy from high A that they wanted to give the innings to. And it's like, you know what? Like, okay, fine, whatever. And uh, so I took the call to AAA. I tried to be as happy about it as I could. And I like, you know, was going to make a start in the first series they won, so then I was going to start uh, game four. Well, Tuna got eliminated, and so they called up Chad Cool to make his debut and pushed me back. And I was like, you know what? That's cool. I'm cool with that. And uh, I was going to start game five if we win. Well, Chad goes out there and just shoves, makes seven shutty. And um, I was going to get my start the next day. Extremely pumped, extremely excited. Like, this is, you know, like, this is my chance. Like, that this was going to be the game that I went from that guy who was used as a double-A veteran to a guy who was a double-A veteran who made a really good start against a triple-A team. And it was a good matchup for me. It was Columbus. It was the, uh, the Indians triple-A. And I had faced all those guys in double-A earlier in the year and had a lot of success, so I'm excited. And uh, the morning of the game... I get a I get a text message from the pitching coach, um, saying, "Hey, 
you're not going to start. We're going to go with the we're going to go with the big league guy, you know, the guy who's been in the big leagues. And I it just devastated me, man. Like I remember sitting in my room and I just cried. I just cried because I knew how important of a moment that was in my life and how how significant it was to not get that opportunity not get that opportunity. Uh, I remember calling the pitching coach and I uh, left him a nasty voicemail. Uh, I called the pitching coordinator, uh, left him a message, and then I called the minor league coordinator and I left them all messages. And, uh, you know, it wasn't the best choice, obviously, but, like, I vented my frustrations. You know, I was, you know, told him, how could you do this? Like, you know, what, what the heck? You know, like, what are you doing? Like, how can you do this to me after all this time? And uh, the game happened. Big league guy gets his butt kicked. Um, Clevenger makes his second AAA start and shoves. You know, it's like, like everything that you know you don't expect to happen, I guess, happens. Like, but like, in my mind, it was you know, guy who was in AA the whole year gets his chance in AAA. He made the most of it. You know, and he ended up having you know he's had a really good career. In my mind, it was like you know, well, what if you know, what if that would have been my moment? And um, I left, man. As soon as the game ended, I didn't say bye to nobody. I got my travel money and I just left. And I knew with the way everything transcended that day that I had burned those bridges and that I had, you know, made choices that would not benefit me. Um, you know, do I regret them? No, I don't, man. Like, I still believe that, you know, I got screwed. I still believe, you know, everybody, you know, everybody says in pro ball, you're going to get screwed. And like, I believe that was one of my moments, like. A guy who was on the back end of his big league career trying to hang on, you know, wanted to make his, you know, another big start. Whereas, you know, and they gave it to him instead of the guy who's rising up and wanting to make a name for himself. And um, it's just in my mind, the Pirates at the time and the things they had taught us. And I was just so over it. And I was so done with everything they, you know, they had to teach that I... I didn't even try. I emailed them one time, but it was never about um, getting signed. And I just, I just knew it, man. I just knew that 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 had ran its course, and that my time had come to move on. Well, that ends up being all she wrote with the Pirates. Um, you you know you play for them for for six seasons. You hit minor league free agency. You get picked up by the Orioles, and then um, you know I think probably fair to say you make. I mean, I think it's fair to say probably your biggest mistake of your career. Walk me through, walk me through that. Yeah, man. So, 15 season ends. Uh, I'm on the high horse, on the man. You know, I'm doing really good. I, I, at that point, I really believe that, you know, I could be a big league pitcher. You know, guys, guys get called up to worse organizations that than I was in, uh, with numbers that I have, and I just happened to catch the Pirates. You know. Who, who would have guessed, you know, the Pirates, the one year they went 98 games was the best year I ever had. So going to that offseason, I know I'm feeling good. I got a call to go play winter ball in Venezuela. I had some really good starts, came home, whatever. And then um, in the offseason, um, I had notified MLB, like, hey, I'm going to go down to Venezuela. This is when I'm coming home. Because um, they say you have to notify them for drug tests, blah, blah, blah. So... I notify them and then I get home, you know, and I don't really hear nothing. Uh, I'm just kind of hanging out and get home. And I had, you know, being that it was the off season, I had taken up smoking. You know, it wasn't, um, wasn't, 
in my mind, I didn't feel like I was doing anything, you know, drastically wrong. I wasn't hurting anybody. I was a free agent. You know, why are they going to look at me? They're not going to mess with me. And um, I got a call from uh, MLB, or excuse me, I got a call from Baltimore, and they uh, expressed interest in signing me. I had an agent at the time, and you know, he was just kind of like, yeah, whatever, you know, do it, blah blah blah. So I was like, okay, so I take the deal. And uh, literally the day after I committed to signing with them, I get called by MLB uh, about an off-season drug test. And it just so happened to coincide whenever I got my wisdom teeth removed. So, you know, I get the wisdom teeth removed, and I'm on painkillers and stuff, and I was still smoking at the time. And um, the guy calls me and says, hey, I got a drug test with MLB, and I was, you know um, – wasn't sober and I just told the guy oh you can just call me later like you know I just got my wisdom teeth taken out and he was like okay that's fine but you guys take a drug test and I was like no you know like hey I can't do that like um I just got my wisdom teeth taken out and he was like I don't care like this is what has to happen so at that moment I knew that like I knew that I was I had just you know I took a chance and I was wrong you know I, I got tested and, um, you know, I told MLB about what I had done with the uh, painkillers and stuff, you know, what was prescribed. And then I um, ended up failing for the marijuana thing and uh, got the 100 games. And um, I'm really lucky. And, I'm, you know, my career to this day, from that day, you know, 2016, um, I owe my whole post, you know, I guess the career that I've had, you know, post-Pirates, uh, I owe it all to a man by the name of Kent Qualls. He was the, uh, I think he's a minor league coordinator. He was the front office guy who signed me, and uh, he was the one who convinced signed you from the Orioles. Yeah, yeah. he was the right. first one who signed me from the Orioles as a minor league agent. Talked to me. We talked the contract. Blah blah blah. This is how they felt. Uh, they wanted me. You know, they they were going to send me to Double A or Triple A, and I was cool with that. I was like, you know what? cool whatever like i said i was like i'm in the mindset of i'm gonna play this um you know i saw them sign other minor league veterans like my uh you know and i'd seen guys go through that organization that were minor league vets who get you know they kind of extend their careers and uh anyway kent um kent man he was he he's the best man in my life that i had never talked to and um he convinced their gm to not release me and, uh, you know, the only time I got to wear a unif- uh, you know, Orioles uniform was in the two weeks um, from the time they drafted guys until they released me. But, uh, you know, he saved my career. He convinced them to let me serve my suspension. He convinced them to let me go get ready for, um, you know, in case they made a trade because they were in a position to. And, you know, they didn't make a trade, so I got released. But in that same time, you know, I had made connections and I had met people that have led to me being able to continue my career. And Kent, Kent was the man who extended my career into Mexico. You finish out that 100 games, they let you serve it, but you're a guy who has 100 game. You don't have the 100 games that you have to serve, but you are a guy who has three flunk tests makes you you know almost persona non grata in affiliated baseball. Is there any thought at that point to hanging it up and finish finishing out playing? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, like as soon as a drug test happened, I my initial thought was I'm going to be done. Like this is it. Like I'm done playing. It was a good run. You know, I'm going to be the guy who didn't live up to the hype because, you know, choices that he made. And I thought it was done. I thought it was completely done. And then um you know, I was just playing, you know, I was playing for tomorrow. I was playing for that next day, man. I, I was playing for, like, the chance to be able to just be grateful to get to play. Because, you know, you go back to being a kid. Like, I didn't grow up, you know, caring about the big leagues. I just want to be a pro. Like, I want to play. I want to get paid to play. I want this to be my job. Like, I want baseball to be the main focus. And to get to do that was everything. And um, after the suspension, you know, like that, everything was taken into, I guess, into, you know, context of like, you know, this is, this is what I'm dealing with. Well, you finish out and you get the job uh, in, in the Mexican Winter League. You head to Mexico for the first time, something that becomes basically a second career for you, the stage of your career going from, you know, the fall of 2016 to this past this past fall winter of, of 2019-2020, you become a guy who pitches mostly in the Mexican League and in, in Indie Ball in the American Association. What was your your first experience with, with the Mexican League? What, what were the differences in how you felt pitching in Mexico in Navajoa versus your career in affiliated ball? Yeah, so... It was, it was totally different, man. Like Mexico, you know, I played winter ball in Venezuela and I was like, oh, I got an idea what winter ball is, but like winter ball in each place is so different. And I, you know, I went down there and Navajoa compared, Navajoa compared to other Mexican league teams is a dump, small town, terrible stadium. Like it's everything you see in the movie. Uh, or the, in the show, what's the name of the show with the guy in the minor leagues he plays in Mexico? Kenny Powers. Yes. So that show, I never really watched it, but like, it's exactly what you see on that show. Like old stadium, you know, everything's old, whatever. And then you get down there and, um, you know, my first year in Navajo, uh, I went, you know, went there with this new perspective on that, you know, I'm grateful to have a job. You know, I had a man who stuck his neck on the line to just keep me with an organization and that he made a phone call to someone else and said, hey, you should sign this guy. And uh, like I said, like Kent, Kent calls is the reason I'm still playing baseball today. And um, he got me that phone call and he got me that job. And um, Mexico, you know, Navajo is everything that you would stereotype Mexico with old dusty town terrible stadium like not a lot of fans you know it's, it's not clean like it is a it's a grimy town you know it's you gotta have some you gotta have some grit to play there but at the time dude I didn't care and even to this day I still don't care I love Mexico I, I am so grateful for everything that country's given me what was it like getting back on the mound though after a hundred game suspension and playing the the big difference with affiliated ball in the Mexican Winter League is affiliated ball you're playing for development you're playing to get the prospects yeah. up to the big leagues Mexico you're playing to win the organization wants to win those fans want to win what it what's it like after leaving affiliated ball and heading down to to the Mexican Winter League 
it, it was fun, man. It was a fresh breath of air. Like it was, it was fun to be in a clubhouse where the common theme was we're going to win this ball game instead of the common theme being, you know, I'm going to get mine, screw everybody else. And it was great, dude. Like everybody cares. Everybody lived and died, you know, with the wins and the losses. So the comparison is so different, you know, like just from the mental aspect of it, you know, like these guys care about this game and they, they care about it and they go after it and they play so hard. And, um, it was refreshing. Like I wasn't used to playing with guys who gave it, you know, who really cared about the team. I was used to playing with guys that I'm going to get mine. And you know what? Like, sorry, like, you know, you're going to get yours. You know what I mean? Like they're there to get to the big leagues, but in Mexico and the in the winter league, that is the big leagues for a lot of those guys. You know, like it was showtime. Like I remember seeing teammates and thinking it was funny that they would get so dressed up and like this and that. But like, and then I realized like this is the big leagues for them. Like this is the Mexican Premier League, and like to see the pride that these guys took into the league, regardless of the stadium and regardless of all that, just made me like I bought into it. You know, and I I really embraced their culture around it and how that you know yeah they're there for them you know everybody wants to make their money and everybody wants to get what the, what's theirs but it was it was you know one of the few times where i saw someone say it's okay if you get yours because it's good like it's good whenever you have success because it's good for me and that whole aspect was it was great, man. It made me fall in love with the place. Was there any hope and has there been any hope for you these last five or so years of thinking, hey, I might get I might get picked up or is it just I'm going to keep taking the ball as long as someone has a job for me? By pick by picked up, I mean picked up by an affiliated organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. Like Yeah. So I think, you know, the little kid in me is always gonna you know, when I grab the baseball and I'm playing catch, I'm always going to visualize what I'm going to look like as a big leaguer because that's what I've trained for my whole life and that's what I aspire to. You know, still being, you know, 29, almost 30, I still aspire to be a big leaguer. Like, as crazy as that sounds, like, you know, like, I'm still a 29-year-old man who plays a kid's game that holds this, you know, deep down in my heart, even though that I know that it's a 0.05% chance that it happens, that like it does happen. Like, you know, I'll tell you with a guy named Brandon Mann. I met Brandon Mann in 2015 uh, in AA with the Pirates. Um, he was 31 years old, man. He was 31, and I was like, man, this old guy's hanging on. Like, why? Why? Why are you doing it? He made his big league debut at 34 with the the Texas Rangers after certain you know suspension and stuff uh, for HGH. And, you know I don't know how MLB looks at suspensions and stuff now. So like you know obviously I would I would love another chance to play an affiliated ball, and um, I'd be grateful for that chance. But um you know right now for me is at the same token like I love the career that I've made in Mexico. You know, I've embraced the culture that it's given me. And, you know, I've used baseball to kind of just let me travel the world. And, um, you know, that was my mindset after Mexico and after other things that baseball was going to be my ticket to travel. You know, I was going to – it didn't matter if I was playing semi-pro ball. Like, if I'm still getting paid to play, like, I'm the pro part of it. You know, they can be the semi-part, but I'm the pro part. Like, and I still kind of embrace that. You know, like, it's – 
you know, I, you know, I dream of getting a chance to tow a big league rubber, but I don't, um, I don't focus on it. It's, uh, you know, I guess I've been in survival mode since 2014. <laughs> Trying to just since take you, it on. Since you left the Pirates, yeah. Since you left Altoona in 2015, you've played for something like nine teams in four different leagues, multiple countries, multiple continents. Let's get to, I mean, you, you've played in the Mexican Winter League, the Mexican Summer League, the Venezuelan Winter League, the American Association. Let's get to kind of where you are now. Uh, the, the Zach Dotson of now of 2019, 2020, you, you spent your, your previous summer and you were planning on spending this summer before, you know, quarantine season hit, yeah. playing in Germany, but you spent your winter playing in, in the highly competitive Mexican Winter League, I believe winning your first championship ever uh no it's actually my second championship oh uh, you want it you want a championship in winnipeg yeah winnipeg which was fantastic well so with where you're at now you're you're playing in you know break down kind of the the how you're spending your summers or planning on spending your summers in germany versus how you're you know how you spent your last winter in, in mexico what is your your current professional baseball life like and what is that, you know, what are you kind of, are you just looking to ride this out for the future as long as these, these organizations will give you jobs? Yeah. So like, yeah, man, like, you know, um, I finished in, you know, I played in Venezuela and then I realized I came back from an injury and realized that I could still play. And I ended up, you know, putting it out there. I messaged a few friends, ran into the job in Germany, uh, had a pitching coach say like, Hey, when you're done playing, go to Europe. And, um, you know, in my mind at the time that I was done last year was going to be my last year. I was going to come out here, you know, travel Europe, play in Italy, get to do these fun things and then just go back and, you know, be another guy. And, uh, things just didn't progress that way. You know, I came out here and I started throwing well, you know, I had games where I was sitting 90, 92 for the first time in a couple of years. And, um, I, uh, realized that, you know, like, Hey, like this might be something I can do. Like this, you know, is, can I still play winter ball? And, uh, fortunately enough that, you know, I, I dug hard. I, I say fortunately enough, but you know, I, I reached out to everybody. I, I, I went after it. I pursued, like I have pursued still getting to keep playing, you know, since 2016. And, um, I came out here and I met somebody, uh, She's actually, I actually live with her right now and, um, I met somebody out here and, uh, just kind of snowballed into where I am right now. Quarantined in Germany with my girlfriend. Uh, but yeah, man, it was, you know, now as the future holds, um, I met, you know, I kind of reestablished myself down in Mexico. I had a really good year. Uh, you know, I believe that the organization I'm with, you know, has, has interest in keeping me around. And uh, if not, then, you know, I, I'm still open to experiencing baseball and, you know, Australia. Like, there's other there's other places baseball can still take me. And uh, in my mind, you know, as long as there's still places that baseball can take me and uh, there's still things I can experience, I would, I would be open to doing that. You know, like, I love to travel and um, I think, I think my experiences, you know, have something to offer even if it's indirectly and i think you know like if i can go play semi-pro ball down in australia you know it's not about the money you know like 
get to live in Australia for six months, yeah, you know, I'll go do it. You know, I'll, I'll play as long as I can. You know, like I said, the best advice that I ever got in baseball was play till they rip it off. And um, I have every single intention of to using up every aspect of that phrase. Well, you mentioned advice. Let's I, just one last question for you. Just in retrospect, if you could, you know, the, the Zach Dotson of right now, if you could go talk to 18 year old you right after you signed with the Pirates or right before you signed with the Pirates, what would you try to impart on yourself? What do you wish you would have known in retrospect, um, you know, to, to maybe change things or at least give you, you know, what what advice would you give yourself? What advice would I give myself to make it to the big leagues? Is what you're trying to say? Well, I mean, what advice would you give yourself to maybe have an easier go of it? Oh man, that's a tough question. I don't I don't want to say easier because there's nothing easy about getting to the big leagues. Like yeah, there's guys who are lazy and stuff and get there, and it's not everything you think it is work wise. Um. So looking back, it's not going to be work ethic. I would just tell myself that it's okay to conform. It's okay to let, you know, let the other people have a win. You know, 18-year-old Zach had to win everything. It didn't matter if it was an argument about Coca-Cola or Pepsi or if it was, you know, getting guys out. Like, I had to win everything. And um, I go back and tell myself to just focus more on the wins and losses from day to day and try to try to take more, you know, from what, you know, the early lessons that I didn't, I had to learn two or three times, you know, you would think failing two, three drug tests, you know, you would learn these things. And, um, it took me to that point. So I'd go back and tell myself, you know, Hey, like, you know, these are lessons. These are real. Regardless how you feel about things personally on an aspect when it comes to things, like these are the rules that are in place. This is These are the hoops that you have to jump through. Whether you agree with them or not, um, you got to do it. And, um, you know, looking back, I wish I would have just told myself to just jump through those hoops, you know, do the things that they're asking you to. Like, you know, if they want you to do the little thing, you know, does it really matter? No. At the time it did, but looking back, no, man, like, you know, because I've appreciated everything, I've taken everything in, and, you know, I've made the most of every situation that I've gotten into, and I've learned a lot of good lessons, but definitely just conform a little bit. That's something that's funny, because that's something my parents have always said, and um, it's something that's been extremely, extremely right. Well, I, I've tried to leave my personal feelings out of most of this interview, but uh, since you know, since we're basically wrapped, I'm no matter how many times over the course of your career over these last ten years that you made me want to shove my head through a wall because of some of the decisions you made. Very proud of you. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm still shocked that I get to uh, to watch you throw the baseball. I got to watch you this winter on an incredible team. Throw really well. Throw well in big games. Uh, see you achieve success and happiness on the field. I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, you know, hopefully whenever we can get baseball going again, um, looking forward to watching you pitch again sometime soon. Zach Dotson, thank you so much for taking the time, uh, on from Phenom to the farm. Stay safe, buddy. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I appreciate it, dude. Like, you know, family and stuff is big and important. And the people that you surround yourself with are, uh, extremely important. And, um, I was fortunate enough to, you know, like you said, 
have you as a good friend and um that's something that's stuck true like the people that you surround yourself with are important and uh you know you being in friendship and you being there and all that has been great and to watch you grow into uh you know this point in your life with the podcast is awesome and i think this project is fantastic i appreciate it man you stay safe have yeah, a good man, one too. later that's a wrap on this episode of From Phenom to the Farm. Remember, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, rate, and leave a review. We will see you in two weeks with former first-round pick and big leaguer Richie Schaefer. Thanks.